1: live from northern california it's lifeline with jesse gastan he's the host of way of grace a pastor and a community leader he's a teacher and an inspiration he's lifeline's own jesse gastan
2: and it's good to be with you on this monday edition of lifeline i'm jesse gastan and it's raining outside and um I don't know. I guess we need it. They call it April showers, which are designed to bring May flowers, but most likely it'll bring like May pollen (laughs) for those of us who are um, allergenically predisposed, but I suppose we'll get through that as well. I want to welcome you to the Monday edition of Lifeline, your friend, host, uh, brother in Christ, um, advocate. Uh coach, prophet, um, priest, um, a number of things. Uh, what did they say? communic community activist. Every now and then, not a whole lot, but uh, every now and then I do seek to facilitate pe- people who might be called to that, um, given a particular um, issue or challenge that our world has. You know, our world is filled with so much trouble, so much pain, so much difficulty, just... Everywhere you go, everywhere you look, just stuff is going on, you know, just a lot going on. I was kind of thinking about this as I was um, preparing my notes for today. What is life really all about? What's it really all about? What are we doing? What's going on in our world? What are we up to Um, in the one of the most privileged countries in the world? You and I here in America where our freedom is probably the best you can get for your money. And I mean that for real, uh, in the world, our country is not, uh, if you will, um, perfect in any sense of the imagination. It's, it's probably one of those paparri experimental Petri dishes filled with all sorts of cultures that, um, that are interacting and sometimes they are merging and, producing something beautiful uh, as a hybrid. Uh, other times there are combustible conflicts that break out into hostilities and variances and and the things that make for a really, really bad day so that on any given day in America alone, not, let alone around the world in America, there are uh, tears of sorrow and bereavement and grieving uh, and pain and and uh, emotional conviction about something happening in our world, bad or uh, a misfortune that we can uh, attribute to nature, uh, time, and and providence. And at the same time, things wonderful occurring, life, uh, the birth of children, that, that, that quintessential blessing by which we are affirmed by God that the world will continue for some time now. Um, or else, why would he sustain the uh, proliferation of children in this crazy world if it had no redemptive value in it whatsoever um so yeah we we have a spectrum between things that are normal and abnormal between things that are uh tempered with balance and and parameters and and structure and uh uh and 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 thought worthy um, objectives and goals and uh, Creativity—we got all that going on in, in the world—and then we also have chaos and and darkness and maniacal uh, schemes and and outbreaks of uh, hostile intentions on the part of people who don't care to see this world as um, the best you can get uh, until you go to glory, if you happen to be right with God. But all that's going on in our world—and and, and the term that I'm, I'm thinking about is the term uh, life management, life management. What we all seem to be engaged in uh, on one level or another is life management. We'll be talking about it. We'll study it. We'll analyze it. We'll give suggestions and plans, and we might even model it. We're certainly entertained by it a big part of our life is entertainment and I definitely get that but it's all about life management that's what we're dealing with life management and um the the believer the christian lives in attention and i use that i use that term advisedly cuz i use it a lot we live in a tension where we are um we're working between two extremes and it's real important for us to find that, that balance, not, not, not kind of a, a moderate, I don't care about either or, but the balance. And I was talking to one of my sons in the faith about the importance of uh, discovering how to enjoy a right view and relationship to our creation, God's providence in it, what we might call the world, how to discover and enjoy a right view. A right view, how to discover and obtain a right view, and therefore a right relationship to this creation, providence in the world. That that was a question that I engaged a young man a couple of days ago, around a time in which, um, in which, when I was much younger, some twenty years ago, really did struggle with how to view the world, and, and, and so what, what, what one considers is how it is that that in our God ordained. Uh, life, where where grace um, is given to you as a child of God, um, you're given new eyes. You're given a view of things that that should be different than what you had prior to your uh, introduction to Christ and His glory. And those, those new eyes, that new worldview, that new perspective, should have impacted your life at the level of helping you see the world differently. I think you would agree with that. In that. One of the questions we're going to work through today as a foundation for our discussion is, you know, how do you how do you handle the tension between a kind of extreme view of everything being negative? A kind of a hyper, um, if you will, just kind of a hyper negative, skeptical view of society that produces some really, really, uh, really suspect fruit. Uh, and then the uh, the other extreme might be an extreme of a kind of uh, utopian mentality about life that fails to recognize certain difficulties, certain problems, certain pains. And you find people not being able to manage the reality of life with both the good and the bad um, uh, and they end up really struggling in life. Remember, what I'm talking about is life management. How do you you deal with life in terms of your perspective, in terms of your surroundings, in terms of how life dishes out to you certain things, and then your response to it? Um, And as a child of God, do you properly and rightly comprehend uh, the true nature and character of God through the world? God has created this world for you and I to see Him in it. The heavens declare the glory of God, and His, uh, in the firmaments, His handiwork. Psalm nineteen, one or two. And so I'm supposed to see something about the character and nature of God in my world, as are you, if I if I have a proper prism of interpretation, a, a proper grid of analysis, if I have a a proper uh, a proper uh, healthy relationship with what is supposed to be uh, the, the 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 representation of an infinite, holy, good, just, and loving God, uh, and that is our presupposition that God is good, holy, just, and. Uh, righteous and and merciful and gracious and and long-suffering and all those things the Bible tells us that we should see in creation, that we should see in the animal world, that we should see in the ecological structure of this world system. We should see God's character in it, and we should be blessed by the world in that way. We should be able to experience both intellectually, psychologically, psychologically, emotionally, physiologically, even, uh, and spiritually, if we can bring all these things to bear upon what the word of God has to say about God's handiwork. And, and, and therefore watch this now, therefore, no matter what is going on in terms of crazy, uh, on the other end of the scale, there are massive blessings to be engaged in. So how does the believer how does the child of God, the biblically informed child of God, manage a, a, a kind of perilous pendulum swinging uh, from one extreme to the other and avoid the kind of hyper legalistic, angry, politically angry Christian mentality that's, you know, upset and pissed off with the world on every hand and and almost is as bad as, as people who want to act out on levels of crime and murder and hatred? And a, a, a also a, the other extreme is a kind of uh, epicurean uh, licentiousness where you kind of give yourself over to the world uh, for purely a life of of pleasure, just a life of pleasure. How do you enjoy this life rather for the glory of God without being consumed by this life through the lust of the flesh? That's what I'm talking about, because the extreme of one end or the other actually will just make your life miserable. I think, I think um, what Paul had said in 1 Timothy 6 6, godliness with contentment produces great gain. And I think what the believer has to learn how to do is find that center of the revelation of God in terms of his immediate providential goodness and be able to filter everything through the prism of a God who is patient. A God who is kind, a God who is just, holy, righteous, but also a God who is merciful and benevolent toward those that seek him. And, uh, and, and, that's, and that's what we're working through. That's what we're thinking. We're thinking about how do we enjoy this life for the glory of God, since the Bible says God has freely given us all things to do what? Enjoy, not to mess up, not to abuse not to destroy, not to neglect, not to profit from. He's given us all things freely to enjoy. I know for me, what I had to learn many years ago, coming up out of a kind of dark element of Christian experience when I was young and, and, and misguided by older gentlemen who had a very skewed view of our world, uh, what I would call an extreme pathological uh, kind of Adventism, where the world had to end because it was just too bad. And, you know, here we are now some almost 30 years hence. And, uh, between the time of that kind of dark, opaque Adventist ideology that had a lot of people on planet earth, uh, jumping into really, uh, unhealthy and unbiblical phobias with the hope of escaping the world. Here we are now 30 something years out. Um, I'm very thankful that God granted me many years ago to to begin to get a handle on this responsibility that you and I have. Here's the responsibility. I'm going to take a break, come back, talk about it more, and then we can chat a little bit. The responsibility of us learning how to be responsible or be missional about our calling as believers in the world. We can't abandon that call or else we're probably not believers. How do we remain missional? in our goal of achieving the salvation and redemption of men and women around the world, while at the same time not missing out on Everything that God has for us by way of what he has provided in creation so that we enjoy this journey along the way. As the Apostle Paul said, God has done us good and given us seasons and years and months. He's poured upon us his goodness so that he's freely given us all things to enjoy. I think joy should be one of the evidences of a believer who has come into a state of maturity and has struck the balance between a, a hyper sort of, again, epicurean licentiousness where you give cash or less to the wind and do whatever you want to do. And then that other extreme of a hyper negative kind of uh legalism and Pharisaism that doesn't find anything in this world worthy of even engaging in touch not, taste not, handle not is the other horrible, wretched extreme, which leads to All kinds of morbid behavior, but the balance, the balance godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, when I come back, there's a number of things I want to talk to you about, but that's going to be the fundamental question. Are you handling the balance of living in this world as a child of God in a way where you can see the beauty, enjoy the blessing, engage the process, maintain your calling and not be stuck? psychologically, emotionally, physiologically, practically or otherwise. Are you doing a good job around that? Or do you need some help? That's what we're going to be talking about. Healthy, health, spiritual health, practical health, emotional health. Um that's what we're talking about on the Monday edition of Lifeline. 138-3675-329. 888 3675 329 When I come back, we'll uh, use some anecdotes to kind of press into why it's so important for you and I have you and I to have a proper view of this world that God gave us while we're here. You're listening to Jesse Giston on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back.
0: And now back to Lifeline.
2: We are back at the time, 524 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open 188-3675329. 18-3675329. If you want to call, chime in, or bring a topic up that you think is worthy of discussion, we'd love to hear from you. 188 3675 329 We're talking about how do we find the balance in our world. Um, uh, life management is what I, I called it as I was reflecting upon where most of us are as we deal with, uh, daily issues, daily trials, daily challenges, daily responsibilities. And do we manage our life in a way that strikes the balance? Um, are we overwhelmed? Um, are we weighted down? Are we distracted? Are we burdened? Um, Are we troubled or do we have this kind of internal recognition that maybe I'm in over my head? Um, Are we depressed? Are we angry? Um, Are we in a kind of flight mode using psychological terminology? Are we fighting every time we turn around Um, or are we frozen? That's a concept we'll be dealing with in our DOG here in a couple of weeks as we engage in. Uh, finding out why it is that sometimes we end up in this emotional fog. going to unpack that, and our ladies will be doing an excellent job ministering to their sisters about what that looks like, what that feels like to be kind of stuck in the fog uh, emotionally and therefore not able to move forward with any kind of confidence and joy. Um, And it can happen to men as well. It can happen to families. I think it can happen to cultures, a cultural fog particularly when you're traumatized. It can happen on many different levels. And and kind of what I'm saying is, where are you at? Because God does care about how we um, are responding to our place in the world as children of God. We're actually making our way through the uh, what is generally called the Lord's Prayer, really the prayer of the disciples, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 12. And we're looking at how God is the one that— that runs everything he he controls everything, and we're called upon to ask God for what we need. Give us this day, our daily bread is what we've been unpacking for a couple of weeks. You'll hear it on the radio, and maybe about three or four months is going to be revolutionary for some of you who have never ever had that text expounded um, But when Christ told his disciples, and if you're a believer, you are that you are to say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Deep implications around requesting that God the Father gives us is that he has resources on an infinite level to meet every need that we have. And, and all we have to do is, guess what? Ask. And if we are in a posture of humility by which we are talking to God, engaging him, communicating with him, confident that God hears our prayers for Christ's sake, and, um, and, and we are in that place of humility, recognizing we need, well, what are we afraid of? And if, in fact, God does meet our every need, how is it that we are operating in a kind of imbalanced way, stuck or frozen or overwhelmed? Are exceedingly troubled or anxious or depressed um, or operating out of a, an escapist mode. There are people who are frequently running, running, running from reality. You know what? These maladies are all around us and there are tons of reasons why. But I I just want to engage you in asking, have you figured out how to live that balanced life of a child of God? Where as the proverb puts it in Proverbs chapter 30 around verse a Lord, give me the meat, the provision, the food, the resources that are convenient for me so that if you give me too much, I might just, you know. I'll, I'll take your name in vain. That's what too much does for some people. And if you don't give me enough, I'll, 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 I'll you know I'll, I may curse you. That's that's what uh, penury is inclined to do. That person knew himself well, didn't he? And I'm asking you, uh, privileged as we are in America with all sorts of resources, how do you manage your life in a way that brings glory to God, so that you are not known by everyone to be a pessimist? And that uh, much of what comes out of your mouth is toxic and uh, and pejorative. Or people don't see you as so flighty and giddy that you have escaped reality because you... You somehow really don 't have the ability to, in a balanced way, approach being responsibly committed to the cause of the glory of God and yet walking in the happiness and peace that comes with who Christ is and who you are in him. two lines open one triple eight three six seven five, three, two nine looking forward to your insightful sagacity and expressions of how you deal with life because we 're we 're going through it all the time. And the goal is to be able to go through it with Christ, uh, with him by your side, him in your heart, him as the foundation and cornerstone and, and hiding place, if you will, uh, and strong tower uh, that you and I might be able to get through this life in a way that brings glory to God. Let me go to line number one and talk with Jermaine in Oakland. Jermaine, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you doing, man?
1: I'm oh, doing pretty good. I um. I had a question actually relates to the topic okay. as far as Christians Christians and watching, I guess you would say, R-rated movies. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've gotten to a debate with friends and family as far as uh I've been accused of being legalistic and having no joy when I used to participate in the same activities. It just got to a point for me where I just couldn't sit through certain movies where I hear the Lord's name blasphemed in, in certain ways. and. Uh, The movie might have literally 30 or 40 F-words, and I'm just cringing. I'm like, you know, I'm not entertained by this. I'm not going to judge you guys, but I just don't see the point in me sitting here watching this. Um, I've had people usually, uh, you know, they they claim to be believers who tell me I'm putting too much on it. And, you know, I always find it interesting. They, They want me to sit there with them. And so I just tend to excuse myself or just say, hey, I'm not interested in that anymore. How do you... Balance as far as like what's legalistic, moralistic, and and I don't know like does does it is it subjective? Does everybody have their own meter, so to speak? How would you kind of handle
2: a situation? It's a great question, absolutely great question, and I'm glad you, you're piggybacking off of um, really the the central and core um, theme that I'm bringing here. I'm talking about how to balance our life. Uh, with all the good and the bad and uh, the challenging components that go into it, Jermaine, in a way where we don't find ourselves in an unhealthy way, either escaping it or in an unhealthy way engaging in it to uh, a level of toxicity where we then become so impacted by it that our hearts and our mind and therefore our testimony and our witness is is compromised. So uh, a couple of things. I think it's wrong when a um, when a, another professing believer uh, would engage you with maybe the tag legalism or self righteous or uh, putting too much on it in an area in which let's say the profanity uh, and promiscuity and innuendo that fundamentally immerses almost all of uh, of, of Hollywood's entertainment. The uh, innuendo, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the 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 profanity and the the lurid, yeah, it, it has to basically color all of uh, every movie that's out there in order for it to sell, because the the primary objective of a movie is that it becomes popular enough to sell. and meet in Hollywood, the media world does have a pretty good handle, Germain, on the sociological makeup of mankind. And the Bible does, too. By the way, the Bible makes it very clear that the heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things who can know it. It also says that if we are operating outside of a relationship with God, that our hearts are hardened and that we are given over to excess lust and passions uh, and drives and extremes of which I was talking about earlier, because we are operating out of a real vacuum in our soul. Um, the Bible is fundamentally clear that all that's in the world is the lust of the eye, the pride of life and the lust of the flesh. And that these things actually grate over against the believer when you are really, truly born again. I don't know a healthy believer, Jermaine, that could sit up under the repeated blasphemous use of Jesus or goddamn, or many other very vulgar terms without us cringing. I don't know a healthy believer. Now, I know a lot of professing believers, and maybe I know some unhealthy ones who can tolerate it. I don't know a healthy believer who would intentionally take a walk into a space where all they do is shower him with vomit and he's all right with it. That's exactly what Peter warned about in 2 Peter 2 when he says we have just escaped the corruptions of the world as a brand new novice believer washed the sow washed and the dog washed of the vomit and and filth and profanity and and and, and again innuendo everything is is hatred everything is war and everything is sex almost everywhere um, and when you're washed and clean of it If it has a transformative component in terms of a new heart, a new mind, new affections, new passions, new drives. Jermaine, don't let them fool you. Don't let your friends fool you. If they can go in there and enjoy it like that, they're not saved. They don't know God. It's not possible to be born again and not cringe when somebody says something about the Lord in a very uh, profane way. Even when other Christians do it, because I frequently hear Christians really take the Lord's name in a very frivolous and and light way. Very sad reality, Jermaine, very sad reality. The other thing I would say, too, is that there is a spectrum of maturity for all believers and where we are on that spectrum will determine how well we can adjust to environments that we cannot control or manage at the job, at the school, at the doctor's office, etc., where the culture is largely ungodly or largely non-Christian. And therefore, it is natural for that kind of uh, behavior to manifest itself and come out of those people's mouths. If you're mature, you can handle it. But you're never going to say, I handle it so well that I'm so used to it that I don't pay it any attention anymore. That's not possible when you have the third person in your heart, the, the spirit of the living God. It's not so. The other area that I do uh, pay some attention to, Jermaine, is that some of us have different personality types. And some of the personality types that we are in the spectrum of them goes from hypersensitive to almost very low sensitivity, when it concerns being in the midst of very incongruent, uh, unkind, uh, unsympathetic, non-Christian attitude, conversation, dialogue, and uh, interaction. You would probably be on the spectrum of one who is more sensitive. Don't let that term sensitive be taken and hijacked by the non-sensitive, maybe carnal Christian, to be weakness, it's not weakness at all. And finally, what I want to say to you along those lines is, the Lord Jesus would tell you and I by His Spirit and through His Word that whatever is plaguing us in terms of a situation in a in an environment, that whatsoever is not a faith is sin. If God doesn't grant me the level of faith and and and, and confidence that where I am in the midst of that incongruent situation. is for his glory and for his witness. If he doesn't give me the level of faith to be at peace and to kind of rest and recognize that I'm in the world, but not of it, that I have to be insulated and can be successfully insulated on an emotional, a psychological and practical level. If he doesn't give me that healthy, no factor, Psalm one, blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. If I don't have that healthy, no factor, I have to get out of there because that's a temptation for me. And that's what you're saying. So. What What they don't want to recognize, your friends, is that you are actually being obedient to God to not yield to a temptation that could take you down a path that would grieve you and ultimately cause you to sin because you actually respect your fellowship with God more than uh, the situation or the context you might be in. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And uh, and I receive that as far as sensitive. I take that as a a compliment because the reason I'm sensitive is because I used to be them. And... I used to let them know, hey, you guys ain't doing nothing that I didn't do times 10, but that's not who I am anymore. So just, uh, yeah, I, I thank you for that. I appreciate it.
2: And then one more thing. I've got to let you go. got to take a break. Mr. Uh, John Bunyan said, with regards to the Pilgrim Progress. The Pilgrim's Progress, which most, again, professing Christians in this generation knows nothing about Pilgrim's Progress. Like, they don't read their Bibles. They have never read Pilgrim's Progress. It used to be you couldn't be a believer in this world and didn't read two books, your Bible or Pilgrim's Progress. And Pilgrim's Progress lets you know that the journey of the real believer is quite lonely. Not that he doesn't have some companions. He does have some companions. And that's all he needs. Are some, but he's not on the broad road, in this narrow way, as was said to pilgrim, by some of the uh, 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 long time pilgrims. Young man, what are you doing on this 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 highway? We're surprised because not many people go this way, not many people walk the highway of holiness, not many. Thanks, Jermaine. I've got to take a break. I've got two lines open uh one triple eight three six seven five three, two nine one triple eight, three six, seven five, three, two, nine, Dave, and Kenya, you hold on when I come back, we can uh continue to unpack the question: How are you managing this life and the 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 tension of good and bad uh and your own walk um are you able to see the good, enjoy the good, be blessed by the good, be a blessing through the good to others. Or are you find your, finding yourself struggling with uh, different responses that don't necessarily correspond with the Word of God? That's where we are. Two lines open, one i will be right back.
0: And now back to Lifeline.
2: And we're back. The time 544. Two lines open if you want to call in and chime in on our topic. I, I thank Jermaine for that. For that question and that comment. And again, uh, I so affirm him in his sensitivity because we are, as a culture, probably swinging more to the libertine, Epicurean sort of lifestyle. I mean, it's just a facet of the pendulum. The pendulum swings one way and then it swings the other way. And those two extremes are where we often live when we don't have the central balance of a, a relationship with God that's able to enjoy the world and yet not be dominated by it in such a way that it actually destroys our joy. Jermaine won't let that happen. Two lines open: one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let's go to line number two quickly and talk with Dave in Oakland. Dave, are you there?
0: Hello, Pastor
3: Jesse. How are you doing?
2: I'm great. How are you?
3: I'm well. I'm just listening to your uh, uh, topic for today, balancing, like, uh, licentiousness with uh, not being too, I guess, heavily minded to be any earthly good. Sure. Be a phrase. Um, oh, but cut but your I, radio down. Okay, here, okay. Is that better?
2: Yeah, much better.
3: Okay, sorry about that. I' no have phone up too loud um, but um so my thing is because I know another thing is uh you're doing the pious man versus uh
2: the political man
3: political yeah the political man, and I am kind of stuck because as you well I, well as you know, I'm sure there's been uh a number of more um law enforcement uh involved shootings. Uh, right with uh with young uh black males right, and I know as a Christian we're supposed to be uh we're this is not our home, so we're not supposed to be so intertwined in social uh politics uh, however I'm like finding it hard to uh not be distracted by that because um I want to know when is when do you think is good for the Christians to get involved with those kind of things, and when we should kind of um, lay low and, and, you know, let it all work itself out.
2: Yeah, excellent, excellent. A couple things that I would say is that, um, and I've said this before, Christians are involved frequently in political issues. And have been all through their history, whether it was the believer uh, in the Jewish uh, economy of the Old Testament or the believer in the uh, Christian economy of the New Testament under uh, God, the father and God, the son and led by God, the spirit through God's word. Uh, We have been involved in politics. There is absolutely no doubt about it on multiple levels, rising all the way up to, uh, and even occupying seats of absolute authority. I mean, Esther was the queen of Persia, and Daniel was chief prime minister, along with his three friends, Mishael Hananiah, and Azariah, uh, in the kingdom. And if you go all the way back to even Moses, I mean, from Moses to Joseph, all all the way down, particularly where God had placed his people, in subjugation to uh, Gentile or pagan nations where he wanted to bring his witness to bear all the way up the scale of uh, the social ladder from uh, from the peasant down on the ground, working in the field all the way up to the White House. Christians are involved in that regard. But that's when they have a calling, David a particular calling, and I I warn Christians about this all the time. Your identity is not politics. Your identity is God in Christ, and your primary objective is to bring to bear on the world the prophetic and the priestly. You and I are called to be the prophetic voice that can speak into the culture, yes, addressing social justice issues from a biblical standpoint not from a political standpoint, not from a dialectical standpoint of hating white folks and loving black folks and getting caught up in this intersectionality, uh, what I call distraction, that, that really does destroy any capacity for mercy and grace to redeem people up out of it because they're in it for reparations, they're in it for payoff, they're in it for, um, for, uh, for vengeance, which is what God told the believer to come short of. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. But let's 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 continue to develop this a little bit. And anyone who wants to call me can call me on this topic. I know it's a heated topic for some of you out there. Be glad to hear from you, pastors or otherwise. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I think that the wisest thing for every Christian to do, every Christian man, every believing woman, every believing family is to make sure they understand their direct and personal purpose before God, before launching out into an agenda, particularly a social agenda, David, that's governed and framed and designed by other people who only want to use you for numbers and maybe money. And at the end of the day, you discover that you're not satisfied because maybe their methodology and their process is not getting the job done. And then on top of that, You never were able to bring to bear the prophetic testimony of the person and work of Jesus Christ into the equation because they don't want to become lambs. They want to be lions. They don't want to be sheep. They want to be predators. They want to get bad. And the gospel calls you and I to a lamb sheep motif where we don't have the power. We don't exercise the aggression. We don't burn down buildings. We can protest if you have to protest, but you got to be careful because violating laws and, and, and violating uh, a civil order is not the call of the Christian. You never saw Christ do it. You never saw the apostles do it. You never see that going on. In the book of Acts, you only have one window of the behavior of the church in the area of politics, and that's them preaching the gospel and suffering for it. So now let me say this. But there will come times where God will allow an issue, a political, social issue, to be dropped into your lap. And at that point, you can't do anything. Before that issue was dropped in your lap, David, you could do several things. You could pray, and people take prayer. Too too crassly, too, too, um too lightly, way too lightly. That's why the church is powerless today. They don't pray. Like even the very suggestion that we should pray versus go out and protest. People in the protest movement laugh at people that pray. Well, you're praying and I'm doing something. Like prayer is not something. Now, smart enough people out there, they know they need people praying for them while they're walking. You gotta have that. And so smart people out there who are believers, David, understand that got to walk, but we need somebody to pray for us because we need a covering. Now, David, you hold on. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to come back and finish this very germane, very relevant question that you have, particularly given our present day. I want to flesh it out more fully with you. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, one i will be right back.
0: And now back to lifeline.
2: All right, we're back. Uh David, are you there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, right. Um, we were talking a bit earlier about how challenging it is to um to see a lot of the crimes that are being committed in our nation and around the world, but particularly here in our nation where um it seems to be a trend, and I agree with you. I think last time you called we were talking about this very same subject. We can we can mark out the multiple, multiple events where African-American men, young men, older men, et cetera, um, you know, being killed in very specious and um, suspect ways by law enforcement. There's no doubt about that. Um, that and, and therefore, and hence the uprising, hence the protests, hence people getting out in the streets, hence Black Lives Matter and many other movements. Um, but what I would say to, to, to a believing man such as yourself is you got to be very careful, one, to know what your calling is. You just can't operate out of your calling because if you do, then you'll be distracted. And once you're distracted, you actually make not only yourself vulnerable, but everyone that depends upon you and your your family man. And therefore, your family needs to be able to know that you are in the best position in your relationship with God that you can possibly be for them. This is not about David. As much as we are to identify with our brothers who are afflicted in that way, this is not about David. This is not about Jesse. This is not about an individual. This is about God who is able to take vengeance on evil at the time and in the way that he deems right. And his people who are called by his name, who obey his word, will operate out of their calling, which means to be still and know that he is God, even in the midst of those struggles, and to be prayerful and to be informed and to be ready to encourage and to edify and to point people to Christ in the midst of the tragedy. The goal is to point people to Christ, David, in the midst of the tragedy. It's not to try to fix the tragedy. Now, when it gets dropped on your doorstep, That's a whole nother story. At that point, you want to make sure all of your your uh, things are in order. That is, you want to make sure that your wife and your children are very clear that your primary goal is devotion to Christ, devotion to God, devotion to his gospel, his his people. And, and yet you have a political issue that has been dropped on your lap that that calls for you to express yourself, if you will, and engage in uh, uh, a kind of uh, political process that that we would hope re- would uh, uh, reprieve the matter, bring some justice about. We have a right uh, to cry out for justice. ain't no doubt about that. Um, and, and that might mean that you would be distracted even to the point of. Um, Uh, Becoming a political prisoner, uh, going to jail, which has been the case for believers all around the world. They're in jail now in all kinds of communist countries, David, for the cause of justice and the gospel. But to simply, you know, get out there and find yourself without a job, uh, struggling with a political issue that happens to grieve all of us um, to the jeopardizing of your kids. And your family—that's uh, not wise. It's not what you're called to do. Now you're going to have to. You and I will have to live with two um, oppositions when we sit in the center of God's will and wait on God, because our brothers that are out there that are in the political mode of operation, who would love for us to be out there with them in that regard, uh, will call you weak. We'll call you useless. Might even try to challenge your Christianity. But that's expected when you don't run with the multitude to do a particular evil. You, can't, you just can't do it. We pray. We're prophetic and we're priestly. We pray. We stand in the gap. Um, we, we pray with them when, when, when loved ones die. We do funerals. I do funerals for, for young men who are killed all the time. Uh, And try to comfort the families and and encourage the families, David, to, to look to Christ and realize that as much as they may want to retaliate, that is not a biblical way to go. Uh, anger rests in the bosom of fools. You know that. And so what you and I want to be careful not to do is simply be tempted by the enemy to take on the arm of the flesh to solve a problem that's ultimately spiritual. Now, the world does not agree at all with what I'm talking about, because if we ever did it the way that God wanted us to do it, we would need politicians. We really wouldn't need law enforcement either because if everyone were walking like they ought to walk, we could be self-governing. But we're not self-governing because we're unprincipled human beings, sinful. And so we need law enforcement and we need politicians to do for us what we should be doing for ourselves. It's a mess. And therefore, God says in Jeremiah 17, verse 5, cursed is the man that trusteth in man that maketh flesh his arm. Cursed is the person that puts his arm cast his lot with men on a carnal level to try to bring about a change without doing it God's way. That's what God says. That's why the church, the true church, is not popular in the world today, because it's not going to um, set aside God's wisdom for what Jesus said. Uh, Don't say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life, because if you go down that route, everybody's dead. So I'm going to give you the last word on that. And, you know, you are a good member of grace and I, I know you heard me and I, I'm i not trying to take away the struggle because every time it happens, my heart breaks. I, I used to be in that lifestyle. As you know, it, it breaks my heart, but I know I know my calling and I know the responsibility I have for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, including my own family, to make sure I maintain a model of uh, being centered in the will of a sovereign God who is able to make all grace abound for you and me. So what say ye?
3: Um, I would just ask ask these two questions. I'll take my answers Mm -hmm. off the
2: Mm -hmm.
3: air. Um, One is, do we have a biblical right to protect ourselves? And our
2: family. Absolutely. You can get that one right there. Absolutely. And if you listen to me carefully, I've said that is the one thing that we must be able to uh, uh, bifurcate when we talk about, you know, political, social issues. We're not talking about turning a blind eye towards someone who would seek to hurt a a vulnerable party like an old woman or or women or children and particularly our own families. Absolutely. You have every right. To hinder someone from killing, to hinder someone from stealing, to hinder someone from defrauding, particularly your own family, without a doubt. And what is the second one?
3: And um, do you believe, if uh, is, Bibli- is reparations biblical?
2: Uh, reparations um, are not biblical in the manner in which we are trying to have that discussion now. What is biblical is forgiveness. And what is theologically um, uh, and inherently uh, the conclusion of of all things that is a teleological view of of god 's purpose in this world is that he will make everything right when he comes that that is the ultimate reparations model that when Christ comes, his reward is with him to give unto every man according as his works shall be so again, as you are getting steeped into the uh, social justice uh, uh, language and history and arguments and debates and and requests and and demands. Be very careful to understand how to parse the arguments for reparations, because on the one hand, It's impossible, my dear brother, for reparations to be made in a just way, um, given all of the uh, injustice that has gone on against black people uh, from the beginning of time. But certainly uh, during uh, uh, the uh, transatlantic slave uh, market uh, of us being brought over here to the Americas, it's just not possible for reparations to be done right per capita per individual. It's not it's not proper. It's not going to happen. And it can happen because who's going to be the one actually meeting out justice in the area of reparations? And then when you're done with black people, do you know who you got to go to next? You got to go to Native Americans and they actually deserve more than we do. And then when you're done with our Native American brothers, you know who you got to go to? You got to go to our Asian brothers because they took some hits, too. And then our Latino brothers, because they took some hits, too. This is why the gospel is the solution to all these problems, David. The gospel is clear that the only real way of reparations is faith in Christ, who is the son of the living God, who, when he comes, will make all this right. And therefore, vengeance is mine. I will repay the job that you and I have is to not render evil for evil, but render Good for evil and heave hot coals upon their heads, letting them know there's grace now. There's grace now, but there's judgment coming. So I hope I hope that helps. I appreciate your questions. And in the future, we're going to have more discussions on this because this thing is going to bust wide open in a few years. I promise you that. And we'll unpack it more particularly. So thanks for your call. I'm going to take a break. But when I come back, Kenya, I'll get you. Three lines are open. One, triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine, one, triple eight. 367 5329. Let's keep talking. I'll be right back.
0: Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's